0: you are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged and empowered by the message you are about to hear. hey everybody man the 5 p.m. out here at Bonnie is we're at eh? Awesome it's so good to be able to uh, be here this evening if we can why don't we put our hands together for the worship team Dan and the team) Thank you guys for doing what you guys do. We're able to get up and preach the way we are because you guys have gone before us and are gone ahead of us in prepared hearts to receive that which God is about to speak to us. Uh, so thank you for having me tonight, Pastor Bex. Uh, this evening, we're in our third week of the message series, The Journey to the Cross, uh, and as we journey to the cross, as we trace back Jesus' footsteps to the cross, my prayer is that we wouldn't just grow in knowledge and understanding of what Jesus has done for us, but that as we ponder and reflect on all that Jesus has done, uh, we would be moved to respond in faith, uh, respond in gratitude and in worship. Uh, our very own Pastor Haley Barrett-Lafaele put together a lot of the research, the research, the concepts, ideas. In this message series, and so I'll be sharing and springboarding from some of those ideas today. Our first stop when we first uh, took on this journey was the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see Jesus, uh, who is this righteous man bearing the image uh, of the rejected man. Last week, we looked at Jesus' trial, where Jesus is the innocent man bearing the image of the condemned man, and tonight, We're looking, our third stop is Jesus in his suffering where he is a king dying a slave's death. You can go on ahead and take your Bibles out and your sermon notes out. We're gonna pray. God, we acknowledge your presence here this evening and we thank you, God, that where your spirit is, there is freedom. And so we thank you, God, that as we bring ourselves around your word and under the authority of your word, Lord, that we would begin to see healing, breakthroughs, victory, divine alignment and transformation in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, One of the things that I constantly have to put to death is this thing called control. What a great starter for a sermon, eh? Uh, It's this thing that I have to put to death. It's called control. Oftentimes, I find myself in certain situations where I feel the need to be in control of everything that's happening. And so I somehow... Bex understands. And somehow I I get roped into this misconception that says, Don, if you don't do it, no one else is going to do it. Don, if you don't jump in to save it now, this is going to turn to custard. Don, if you don't jump in and fix it and manage it and make sure that it doesn't go wrong, it's all just going to fall apart. Like on our wedding day, uh, I wanted to be in control of everything. And uh, I was meant to be in charge of setting up the chairs and rolling up the chairs and putting up the sound system. And so what's happening is I'm trying to control it all. So I'm inside the ceremony area. I'm inside the reception area. I'm over here doing this thing here and over there doing that thing there. Uh, And what I came to realize about trying to have it all under control is that you actually really can't have it all under control. And so I've realized that I've run out of time and I'm rushing home and I'm getting dressed for the wedding, come back. Uh, And on my way back, I received this annoying as text message from Kerry Mundy. And he's saying to me, yo, we just turned up to your wedding ceremony venue and none of the chairs are out. The sound system's not even set up. Is there even a wedding here? What do you want us to do with the chairs? Uh, that is every controlling person's pet peeve. For you to say to us, hey, you know you're trying to control it all? It's actually not working. That's our pet peeve. And that's the last thing I wanted to hear that day. Uh, anyways, in that moment, I had now have no choice but to trust God's plan A, people, To make sure that they're going to roll everything out and do it perfectly the way that i want it to look Uh, and so you'd think that i'd actually learn the lesson eh but actually i don't because with the same breath that i say to them yeah go on ahead roll out the chairs i also say nobody touch the right the aisle runner i will be the one to roll out that the aisle runner um and yeah, anyways, um, uh, at the end, uh, even at the end, Oh, so I arrived to the ceremony and everyone's standing there and you got me and my groomsmen rolling out this long as tupper cloth aisle runner down the aisle moments before um, my beautiful bride walks down the aisle. And I bet you everyone was thinking, is this a cultural thing? It wasn't, I was just trying to be in control. <laughs> you know. Uh, even at the end of the wedding... <laughs> Even at the end of our wedding, uh, we leave the ceremony and we go up to the stairs at the, at the end of, the, of this venue that we were at. Uh, and at that moment, the control thing started to bubble up again. And so I marched down the stairs and I go looking for the floor manager and I say, excuse me, ma'am, we had a conversation and, and, and I said to you, the moment that we leave and we walk out of the ceremony, you're gonna roll out all the canopies and the drinks. Where are the canopies and the drinks? So I'm having this conversation with her. Meanwhile, my uncle who's emceeing the wedding, he's like, everybody, put your hands together for Mr. and Mrs. Lawhaele. Everyone's putting their hands together. They turn to the back where the stairs are and Haley's just standing there by herself because her husband is down on the floor trying to control everything. I'm telling you, it takes all of the effort and fight in me to put to death the urge to control things. There have been moments where I found myself stuck and, uh, or roped into the cycle of having to be in control. But even worse, the need to control did nothing but left me feeling so bound. It left me feeling so stuck in a cycle. It left, left me feeling so enslaved. Have you ever felt stuck? like absolutely stuck in a cycle where you can't, you just can't seem to get yourself out of. Uh, you keep telling yourself, I'm gonna do this for real. Come Monday, I'm gonna work out. Come Monday, you're like, actually, I'm gonna do intermittent fasting, which we, we have every intention of trying to do it, but we just can't keep, uh, seem to get ourselves to doing it. Or maybe you feel stuck in that you just can't seem to uh, stop a bad habit. We keep trying to tell ourselves, I'm gonna stop trying to control everything. Uh, and yet, no matter how hard we try, We just can't seem to stop. Or perhaps we break free from the cycle uh, and state of being stuck and you're doing good for a couple of months, but then something happens in your life along the way and then suddenly you're back at it again. You see, our enslavement is felt as oppression and bondage. And so what happens is we become bound to this urge we become enslaved to this desire to constantly satisfy the flesh and in doing so we give into the bad habit we give into the gossip we give into the slander we give into the violence we give into the racism we give into casting judgment on others we give into promiscuity we give into theft we give into hatred we give into fear the list goes on and so how on earth are we supposed to live our lives the way that God intended for us to live in an in environment and a culture that encourages us to satisfy the flesh. In a culture of hashtag YOLO and hashtag FOMO, uh, in a world that seeks to enslave us uh, with desires of wealth and status and success, where could we possibly go to and who could we possibly turn to for freedom, the freedom to break free from the chains of addiction, the freedom to break free from the chains of anger, the chains of hate, the chains of sin that keep us bound and enslaved. Let's go to God's word. Matthew 27 26 to 31. Here's what it says. Then he, Pilate, released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff. And struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the, the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. God bless the reading of his word this evening. Today I've titled this message, Marks of Freedom. The Marks of Freedom. What does it truly mean to be free? What does it mean to live in freedom? Freedom can be quite difficult for us to grasp and uh, define in 2022, and we often use the word freedom and we apply it in terms of uh, us being free to do whatever we wanna do. Uh, We somehow define freedom as license to just say whatever we wanna say and believe whatever we wanna believe and go wherever we wanna go and do whatever we wanna do. But when you look at God's word, this is not the kind of freedom that the biblical authors are talking about. Now, whenever you study God's word, there are certain techniques that you could use, uh, you could apply in order to understand what the Bible is saying. And one of these techniques is called the principle of first mention. We go looking throughout the entire Bible uh, and we go looking for the word or the principle where it, and we go looking for where it's first introduced because it is there where it is expressed the most simplest and most clearest. And so when we look at the idea of freedom, it is first mentioned in Genesis 2, verse 16. Here's what it says. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. For the biblical authors, freedom was this idea of having the power to choose that which is good. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. It was about the power to choose good fruit, like the fruits mentioned in Galatians 5. Freedom is not about saying whatever you wanna say and doing whatever you wanna do. Freedom in the Bible was all about the power to choose love over hate, the power to choose joy over despair, the power to choose peace over chaos. Now, if biblical freedom is about the power to choose good fruit, why is it so hard for us? Why do we find ourselves in a constant struggle to fight against the desires of the flesh? You see, the problem is this thing called sin. There are so many ways to define and explain what sin is. But uh, the Hebrew word for sin is khata and the Greek word for sin is hamatia. Both of these words mean to fail or to miss the mark. Sin, therefore, basically means fail or miss the mark. Question, what is the mark? Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Human beings are created in the image of God. In other words, people represent God and so therefore they are worthy of our respect. So sin therefore means missing the mark or failing to love God and love people. And the Ten Commandments depicts this so beautifully. Uh, the first half of the commandments show us how you can fail at loving God, and the second half of the commandments show us how you can fail at loving people. Both of these combined show us that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. And we see this in the Bible. Sin against people is sin against, the God, is sin against God. A perfect example of this is in Genesis chapter 37 when um, Potiphar's wife tries to entice Joseph to sleep in bed with her. And uh, Joseph says to her, how could I sin against God? For Joseph, failing to honor a man made in the image of God is a failure to love God. And so therefore, sin is failing to be who God created us to be. Actually, sin is failing to be truly human. But there's more to this word sin. When you read through the Bible, you will find that people who fail or miss the mark either don't realize it or even worse, they they redefine their bad decisions and call it good. We see this happening uh, when Saul is hunting after David, uh, and he's wanting to kill him. In Saul's mind, the decision to bring this criminal to justice was a good thing until he realized actually he was the corrupt one here, and it ultimately led Saul to say, "Actually, I'm the one who was sinning. I'm the one who has failed." You see, sin is not just doing bad things. It's more than that. It's failing to love God and love people. It's failing to recognize uh, whether we're actually failing and succeeding. And this failing to recognize becomes the selfish impulse that drives a lot of our behavior. Sin is the problem. So if sin is the problem, why do we struggle to live in the kind of freedom that the Bible talks about? Why is it such a struggle for us to choose that which is good? Again, principle of first mention will help us to understand why. Sin is first mentioned in Genesis 4 verse 7. Here's what it says. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin, failing or missing the mark, is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This text talking about a story uh, between Cain and Abel, two brothers. Cain brings some of his crops uh, as a gift to the Lord, but Abel, he brings the best portions of the first fruit, uh, firstborn lambs from his flock. The Bible says that the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, uh, but he didn't accept Cain and his gift. And so Cain is now jealous and angry because the Lord has shown favour on his brother and not him. And God says to him, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you don't, just so you know, sin failure, missing the mark, is crouching at your door, and it's eager to control you, but you must rule over it. Sin is being portrayed as this wild, hungry animal whose desire is to consume humans. Yeah. And so the biblical authors are giving us the robust description and definition of the human condition. Sin is failing to be humans who love God and love people. Now because of this, sin renders us slaves. Sin renders us bound. And the Bible says over and over again that sin ultimately leads to destruction. Sin ultimately leads to death. James puts it like this in uh, chapter one, verse 14 to 15. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, guess what? It gives birth to death. That temptation to sin comes from within ourselves, and when we give in to this desire to do whatever we want to do and satisfy the flesh, sin is born, failing is born, missing the mark is born, and that sin, that failing, that missing the mark leads to death. You mean to tell me that my desire and need to control everything ultimately leads to death? Yes. Because being controlling means you need to be in charge of the outcomes. And so what happens when you don't get the outcomes that you want? You get tempted to manipulate the situation in order to get the outcomes that you're looking for. Manipulation is a form of deception. How is deception loving God and loving people? You mean to tell me every time I give in to anger and give in to hatred, it ultimately leads to death? Yes. How is anger and hatred loving God and loving people? You mean to tell me that my cheating and my lying ultimately leads to death? Yes. How is your cheating and lying, loving God and loving people? You mean to tell me every time I judge somebody, it ultimately leads to death? Yes. How is your judging somebody, loving God and loving people? Sin is failing and missing the mark at loving God and loving people. And the Bible says that the payment for sin is eternal destruction. Ooh, but I've got some good news for you tonight, 5 p.m. I've got three words for you. There was one. Uh, The Bible says they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. They mocked him. They spat on him. They struck him on the head again and again. Then they led him away to crucify him on the cross. You know, the cross in the Bible days, it it was not an emblem of worship. It had nothing to do with Christianity, it had nothing to do with religion, it had no spiritual significance, it had no endearment about it, it, had, uh, it was a place of suffering, it was a mark of torture, it was a symbol of degradation, it was a symbol of utmost defeat and shame. It was common in the Bible days to see men hanging on crosses, decomposed in shame and left for dead. It had nothing to do with church and faith and worship and everything to do with Rome's methods of execution. A theologian by the name of John Stott, he he writes in the book, The Cross of Christ. Here's what he says. When the Romans adopted crucifixion, they reserved it for criminals convicted of murder, rebellion, or armed robbery, provided that they were also slaves, foreigners, or other non-persons. Death on a cross was only ever used for someone who had no rights, it was the death of a slave. It was a mark known to the Romans as a symbol of shame. Yet we have our King Jesus here dying a slave's death. There was one. When we were deserving of eternal destruction, I'm telling you, there was one. When we deserved to take on the punishment that we were due for our sin, there was one. He is the one who said, let me bear the payment for her sin. Let me bear the payment for his sin. He is the one who snatched us out of eternal destruction. He is the one who said, let me take on their suffering. He is the one who left the glory and the splendor of heaven and came down to earth. He is the one who bore on himself the suffering that we deserved for our sin. Here's the one that said, let me just settle this once and for all. Here's the one who despite being a king died a slave's death. His name is Jesus, the author of eternal salvation. Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the chief cornerstone. Jesus, the great high priest. Jesus, the true human. Jesus, the king of kings. Jesus, the lamb of God. Jesus, lion of Judah. But it's personal now because he's Jesus, our redeemer. Jesus, our Passover. He's Jesus, our savior. He's Jesus, our rock. Somebody say Jesus up in here. Woo. And so this cross, the symbol of shame, The symbol of death, this symbol of suffering, this mark of suffering becomes a mark of freedom. It means we don't have to live in bondage no more. Jesus has already paid the price. This ain't 2021. We ain't doing entanglements no more. Jesus has already paid the price. Jesus, uh, we aren't bound and slaves to sin no more. Jesus has already paid the price. But the question for you tonight is this. Are you living in the freedom that Jesus died to give you? Are you living in the freedom that Jesus died to give you? If I can just have the keys join me. Here's the part where I want to speak to two groups of people tonight. If you are a believer in this place and you're saying, yeah, I've already given my life to Jesus, but I'm struggling to live in the freedom that Jesus died to give me, here's what I want you to do. Number one, analyze what you believe. Analyze what you believe. John 8, 31 to 32 says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If the truth is gonna set you free, if the truth is gonna bring you freedom, the same is true for the opposite. Deception is gonna bring you bondage. It was the same for Eve in the Garden of Eden. After she had eaten the fruit, God said to her, what is this you've done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Deception points to bondage. And so you need to look at what it is that you are believing in. You move in the direction of your strongest thought. And so that which you believe controls your thought life and dictates the direction you move in. And I'm not even talking about positive thinking until you are free. I'm talking about believing in Jesus for your freedom. If you are trusting something else or someone else to bring you freedom, my friend, you're going to be disappointed. And so you ought to analyze what you believe by measuring it up against the word of God. Here's the second thing you need to do. Analyze your fruit. Sometimes we can be good at talking the belief game. Uh, We're good at quoting scriptures and we're good at putting on the glory to God voice. But guess what? It all comes out in the fruit. Are you bearing fruit that leads to life? Here's what Paul says to the church in Galatians. Galatians 5:19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, but the Holy Spirit who lives in us produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I'm telling you, church, analyze your fruit, that relationship that you are in. If you're starting to feel bound and enslaved, look at the fruit. Is this relationship producing love, patience, and self-control, or is it producing lustful pleasure, anger, and sexual immorality? those catch-ups that you have with your church friends, if you walk away from a conversation feeling enslaved and bound, ask yourself, did that conversation produce love and peace or is it encouraging dissension and division? That job that you're in, if you go home every single day and you feel uh, bound and enslaved, look at the fruit. Is this job producing peace and goodness or is it producing idolatry and jealousy? That group of friends that you have, if you walk away feeling bound and enslaved, look at the fruit. Is this friendship producing gentleness and joy, or is it producing hostility and selfish ambition? Today, do you believe that you are free? Are you producing fruit? Are you carrying the marks of someone who was free? Let me encourage you tonight, if you're struggling with bondage and enslavement, go back to the suffering of Jesus and remind your soul that Jesus, even though he was a king, was sentenced to the death of a slave so that you could be free, so that I could be free. The second group of people, are: uh, if you're here tonight and you're not a believer in this place and you don't know Jesus, and throughout this message, you've come to realize that you are not living in the freedom that Jesus died to give you, here's what I want you to do put your faith and trust in Jesus. Romans 10 verse 9 to 10 says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Jesus is saying to you tonight, you don't have to suffer no more. You weren't created to live a life of bondage. You were created to live a life of abundance. You don't have to live bound no more. You don't have to live enslaved no more. Why? Because he's already died to bring you freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. And freedom to choose life. Jesus is life. And to choose Jesus would be to choose everlasting life. Now, I don't want you to get it twisted because to give your life to Jesus doesn't mean he's just gonna make every little bit of suffering go away. He's not Santa Claus but what he will give you is everlasting life. It means even in the suffering, you can walk through it because you've got a peace that unemployment can't take away. You've got a peace that famine can't take away. You've got a peace that poverty cannot take away. You've got a peace that is grounded in the fact that there was a third day. On the third day, Jesus rose again. That means he defeated hell, death, and the grave. And that also means that the sufferings of this world can touch your body but it can't touch your soul it means when you jump through the door of death you will spend eternity with God in heaven you live in the freedom that has no end but it also means you have forgiveness for your past and a new life right now you don't have to wait to get to heaven to live in the freedom God gave you you can live in that freedom right now you can experience that freedom now and you might say to me oh Don you have no idea what I've done my friend if God started telling what every single one of us in this room had done, we'd be tiptoeing out of here, eh? <laughs> Nobody in this room was born holy. It doesn't matter what you've done, how you did it, or who you did it with, the blood of Jesus is enough to wash away your sins. But I refuse to dismiss the service without giving you this opportunity to say yes to Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you tonight and you're saying, count me and I want to give my life to Jesus, then you can repeat this prayer after me. But I need you to know, this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. This prayer is an expression and declaration and confession of you putting your faith in Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if that's you, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you. I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, why don't we put our hands together, celebrate every single person that said yes to Jesus tonight. God bless. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.